This is something I think a lot of people really don't understand about Twitter. They think Twitter is a social media platform. So they go on there and they naturally act as if they're on Instagram, as if they're on Facebook, as if they're on Snapchat. And that is the wrong way to view, to view Twitter. I actually think it's much more helpful to think of Twitter as a um, micro blogging platform instead of a social media platform. In this episode, I talked to Brian Feraldi, and Brian is an incredible creator in the investing space. And he recently has moved his uh, newsletter over to ConvertKit. Um, and so he talks about the experience of migrating to ConvertKit. Uh, he keeps kind of the behind the scenes on the sponsor network. So I haven't talked a lot publicly about the sponsor network yet uh, and how it's been going, but he talks about you know how his newsletter runs on that and his experience um, you know, getting sponsors booked through it. And you know, probably the bulk of the con- of the conversation is about Twitter and how he's grown uh, his following to the level it's at now, and you know what works. He has this interesting idea on really using your profile on Twitter as a sales page and how the conversion rates matter. It's just a level of detail that I hadn't really thought about before. And so uh, I actually have him pull up my Twitter profile and like kind of give a little teardown uh, live on the episode. So it's a fun episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's dive in. Oh, Brian, welcome to the show. Nathan, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. It is good to have you on. I was realizing before we jumped on, I have like seen you on YouTube videos and we've talked, I think plenty of times, but always on the phone because we like to go on walks, you know, like go on a walk and make a phone call rather than you and I are both like, eh, we're good on Zoom calls. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, whenever I can take a phone call and walk at the same time, I jump at the opportunity. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good. Okay, so we want to talk about a bunch of things. You've got a great newsletter. You've got um, some interesting things that you're doing on Twitter. We didn't get to a chance to meet in person, but the Converka team was down at FinCon. You were there at FinCon as well. Uh, and you gave a great presentation about all things Twitter and what people get wrong about it. And I just want to dive in and talk about that. Like, uh, Maybe give a, give a quick, uh, like the, the headline version of, of your growth on Twitter and how you think about that platform. And then we'll roll into what people get wrong. Sure. So uh, it took me a long time to, to to warm up to Twitter. That wasn't an overnight, like... Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Well, even to like, for, for me to consider using it, um, it took me a long time. I thought it was just a place that people went to complain about politics, discuss what they were I mean, they do that. And all the, yes, absolutely, uh, they <laughs> do that. And if you use Twitter the wrong way, they still uh, do, do that. Um, so I, I, I created my, my account in like 2009 um, and I just like ignored it. Um, and then in 2015, I became a uh, full-time writer for The Motley Fool. And a, a lot of that job is getting views on your, your articles. And I thought, I know, I'll share all my articles on Twitter with my audience and I'll get like free clicks onto my, uh, onto my, my articles, uh, AKA my mindset was, I know I'll spam my Twitter audience. Right. And that failed horrifically as it should, yep. because what I was doing is I was trying to extract as much value as I could from the people that follow me. And I was essentially giving them nothing uh, back. Uh, in 2018, I noticed that some people that I really respected, um, like uh, Morgan Housel, oh, yeah. uh, Annie Duke, Ben, ben Carlson, um, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, uh, people that were big names in the finance community were actually posting regularly on Twitter. And this was like 2018. Like people who had better things to do with their time. Yes, exactly. Like making a decision. Yeah. No, I think I noticed the same thing. I'm like, huh. This is being used for more than just like, here's what I'm up to. Hey, I'm in Dallas. Who wants to get together? You know, like these other random things. And they were posting thoughts on there beyond just their their articles. And I saw that Morgan Housel in particular was growing pretty rapidly on there. And I was like, I must be missing. I must be missing something about this. If all these people that I respect are taking this seriously, I should probably change up my strategy. So I stopped spamming my audience. I started to share thoughts uh, with a particular focus on money and investing starting in uh, 2019. Um, I started to take it far more seriously towards the end of 2019. And I started taking it really seriously in 2020, which also happened to coincide with COVID lockdown and everybody uh, that was getting stimulus checks being very 
very interested in investing uh, all of a sudden. That proved to be a, a really big tailwind for me in 2020 that took me from like 5,000 followers to something like, I don't know, 80,000 followers or something at the end of 2020. Oh, wow. And over the last two plus years, I've really started to understand what, how to do Twitter uh, the right way. And that momentum has just uh, continued. And I'm currently just, uh, just, shy, just shy of 400,000 followers on Twitter. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like you've added a lot even since we last talked on the phone, like, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, a couple months ago, you're, you're cruising through it. You got to, I mean, you got to teach me. I'm at like 86,000 now. <laughs> Uh, up that's from quite good. At the beginning of the year, so that that's great. You doubled your number. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah, you know, like investing, we just compound 100 year over year, and we'll be no. <laughs> Wait, is that yeah, right? <laughs> well, that's pretty close to, to how it works, right? I I've I've found you know followers compound, right? It's mm-hmm. much easier to get someone to follow you when you have a hundred thousand followers than it is when you have ten thousand followers than it is when you have one thousand followers than it is when you have a hundred. So like every doubling takes just as long and is just as hard as the previous doubling. But as your size grows, so too do the amount of people you attract. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Why? What is that? Is that something about the algorithm? Is that the the trust of uh, someone coming across your profile? It's like, well, I guess if 400 other, other thousand people follow him, then I might as well. <laughs> I think it's a combination of like anything, the more you do something, the better you get at it. So you understand what works and what doesn't. But a big part of some, a big part of getting someone to follow you on on Twitter is is social proof, right? This is something I think a lot of people really don't understand about Twitter. They think Twitter is just like every other. They think Twitter is a social media platform. So they go on there and they naturally act as if they're on Instagram, as if they're on Facebook, as if they're on Snapchat. And that is the wrong way to view to view Twitter. I actually think it's much more helpful to think of Twitter as a um, micro blogging platform instead of a social media platform. And that distinction is important because when you have a blog, you don't write a blog for your family and your friends. You write a blog for strangers, strangers on the internet. So if you want to grow on on Twitter, it's really important that you that you have the mindset of I'm here to create content for strangers, people that don't know me. And if you have that mindset, you're like, well, strangers don't care what I'm eating, where I'm going on vacation, what my kids are up to, who my favorite sports team is. Right. Strangers don't care about that. So if you're posting that kind of stuff on Twitter, you're not going to grow. People are going to unfollow you. It just makes sense. Yeah. Okay. so what. What are the things that you've started to post or how have you gone about it to, to actually grow? Well, by, by and large, you have to kind of uh, plant a flag on, on Twitter or just online in general and say, um, if you have to make a promise to people, basically saying that if you follow me, mm-hmm. if you do me the favor of following me, allowing me to market to you for free, right? In exchange, here's what you get. And there's a couple of broad categories that you can go after, but you're inherently making that promise to somebody, right? If you click the follow button and my tweets appear on your timeline, here's what you can expect uh, in exchange. I think there's four categories that work pretty well. One category is make me happy in some way. So share things that make me laugh, reaffirm beliefs that I already have. Right. Do something that when you when I see a tweet that you do, it makes me feel good mm-hmm. or relate to you in some way. The second category, I call it make me smart. So that is break down something that I didn't understand fully, share news or insights in, in, in a unique way that will make me a more informed person about whatever topic you're 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 talking about. Uh, a third category is make me money. Right. So that could be anything from teach me to invest, teach me to budget, give me career advice, give me networking uh, advice, teach me mental models that will help me in business or career. Right. Do something to make me smarter with business and um, and money. Um, And the final content, the final category, I just call it trusted filter. So you don't even have to create content. You just have to consistently find high quality content that other people create and share that with me uh, con- consistently. So I think if you join one of those four categories, so make me happy, make me smart, make me rich, or become a trusted filter, that is the way that you gain trust from, from strangers online and they will follow you if you do so consistently. Are you saying join one category or like live at the intersection of several of them? How do you think about that? I think it's best to pick one 
and kind of really hammer that home, but you can also cross cross over. The, the key thing that you have to keep in mind at all times is I am here to help you. I am here to create content that helps you accomplish something that that you want, right? That's why people that's why people follow strangers because they think that that stranger can help them to do something. So it's okay to go in a couple different categories, but I, I generally think it's helpful to pick one and stick with that for seventy percent of your tweets. Talk about which one you picked and and what went into that. So I am in the make me smart category. Uh, my, my particular focus is money and investing. And my general, my general uh, mission on, on Twitter is to demystify finance. So I try my best to take complex topics related to finance, related to investing, uh, break them down into easy to understand tweets and share that content with my, with my audience. And I also share things like quotes from famous investors. But all, almost all the content that I create is related to money or finance in some way. How, like, is it pretty important, do you think, to, to have that specific niche, right? Because you could, you could say, uh, make me smart, right, as a category, um, or smarter. Maybe we can't ever achieve, like, fully smart, but we'll go with make me smarter. Um, you could end up, you could cross many categories. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of, like, uh, Sahil Bloom, for example, is he'll write on a whole range of categories. He's not specific to money or investing. Um, and I think there's plenty of other people. Like how important is it, do you think, within that to go niche versus talking about a wide range of, you know, ideas or frameworks? Yeah, I've heard this debate from 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 some people, some saying you absolutely should pick a niche and, and really stick to it. I think that's particularly important when you're small, when you're just starting to grow. Right. Uh, to me, people need a reason to follow you, right? If you're just tweeting about random stuff all the time, uh, I, I don't know if I would follow that person unless they gave me unique insights into a whole big range of, of, of categories. Um, so I think it's helpful to pick a niche that you wanna talk about and, and, and focus on that. That's at least what I've done. Once you pick your niche, I think you can broaden from that over time as long as you talk about the range of things that you you know about. But my the thing that I've been focused on for the last 20 years has been money and investing. So that's the thing that I know uh, best, right? If I all of a sudden started tweeting about cooking or soccer right. or something like that, like what what would I do that's one different or, or really what would I do that would establish me as like a thought leader in that space? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think I go back and forth because... I talk about a pretty wide range of subjects. You're going to hear me talking about audience building, marketing, managing a team, remote work. I mean, they're all sort of overlap, but right. But you get design. I might th throw some tweets in there about like a homestead or farming <laughs> or something as well. I think for growth, it totally makes sense to focus entirely on like the, the value that you deliver to the audience. I take a little bit of a different approach in that I try to add the personal side. I actually don't think I'm very good at this on Twitter. Um, probably better with my email list uh, of adding the personal side so that people are following me as an individual. Mm -hmm. And so they care more about advice from me or the connection with me, maybe even more so than like the 20 other uh, places on the internet that they could get similar advice. What do you think about the, the that blend of, of personal versus... Um, like pure, you know, education and value. I, I think there, as long as you hit the appropriate mix, that that's the yeah. important part, right? I think that if you want, if 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 I follow you because uh, you talk about um, sports or something like that, I want ninety five percent of the content that you create to be related to to sports in some way. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Adam Adam Scheffner, I'm pretty sure it's his name. He's like one of the top sports news analysts in the world, right? He people follow him because they want his insights on sports, him to be breaking news. If right. 20% of his tweets were, here's me at the park with my kids, or here's what I'm cooking with, with my wife. Like I personally would be like, wonderful. Tell me about sports, right? That's right. the reason that I'm following you. So I see nothing wrong with sprinkling in a little bit about that, maybe every 10 or 20 tweets or something like that. So people do connect with you um, as, as a person. Uh, but I think that I, I think people can go overboard with sharing too much about that um, because people, again, people are generally following strangers when it right. comes to Twitter or online in general. Um, so they're they're following that stranger because they want the information from that stranger, not because they necessarily want to know everything about that stranger's life. 
When you could bridge that gap, right? Like, let's say the first time I come across your content is a Twitter thread that's all pure great content about investing. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I hit follow and I move on. And I'm, I start seeing you pop up a few times. I don't have a connection to you other than like a mm-hmm. little profile photo. I don't know what you look like or any of that. And so someone could make the argument, maybe I was starting to, but like, that's why you should show more personal sides of your life. Cause then right. People were saying like, Oh, this is the other things that Nathan is into. This is more things about him, but really you could bridge that gap. Like I could, it could share a video clip, you know, of us talking to the podcast or me like breaking down a thread in video. So I'm delivering actionable content, but now instead of just my words, you're hearing my voice, you're seeing me and you're starting to, to bridge that gap. So like still delivering a lot of actionable content, but we're a long ways away from here's me with my kids at the park. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that is something that um, whenever I come across a creator, like Justin Welsh, uh, for example, he's someone that's just like taken over my feed on like so many platforms that I'm on. And for good reason, he's an incredible uh, uh, creator. But when I'm reading his text, that's one thing. But when I have hear, heard him on other podcasts, right. you get to hear his voice. You get to kind of learn that he's a real person and what kind of what kind of thoughts that, that he has. So I, I think that going to other platforms, video or audio in particular, is a good way to build that uh, relationship with uh, with your audience without necessarily just saying going into into your life but um i, I would be fascinated by, by your views uh, on this what do you think what is there is there an appropriate um balance between the two yeah well i think that if you're wondering why your content is not spreading then exactly what you're talking about of uh well what's the value to strangers like i think that's a great a great lens to put it through because yeah what's going to make someone want to retweet it and reply to it so that it goes to like not just a few thousand people, but like gets to a million impressions, right? And I can mm-hmm. guarantee you something about my personal life. Well, hopefully, God, right. hopefully nothing about my personal <laughs> life is ever worth a million impressions, you know, on on Twitter. But like a thread about how to build a great culture in a remote company. I have this thread that I, I repost uh, every four months or so. Uh, and it is good for two million impressions every single time I post it, like guaranteed, because it's very valuable to strangers. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting way to, to do it. And then I think finding ways, like we were just talking about, to bring in other media types um, and getting to know, like for the, the, the fan or subscriber or follower to get to know you and your perspective. I think Nick Huber talked about this. Is he's got like his top of funnel tweets and his mm-hmm. middle funnel and bottom of funnel. And so his top of funnel is something that either like tons of people will resonate with or hate um, mm-hmm. like something polarizing it'll get spread uh and everyone's like you're the worst nick and he's like cool thanks for that reply it just made another yes. thousand people see the tweet <laughs> like i appreciate you <laughs> they don't realize that they're playing his game entirely but then he'll have like these threads on how to think about real estate investing and then he'll have these deep threads that are like cost segregation studies and you know like you got to be a nerd to get into that and it's like the 301 401 level content and i i think just the approach that he takes on that of thinking about, oh, this is a top of funnel uh, piece of content versus this is something that honestly, it's not going to spread, but the right people are going to read it and go, oh, wow, Nick knows his stuff. Let me invest in his fund. Let me book a consulting call with him. You know, any of those things. I think that's really good. Yeah, that's that is a that is a wonderful that is a wonderful way to, to think about it. Uh, some some video some content that you create, the entire point of it isn't to grow your audience; it's to deepen your relationship with your audience or the people that already follow you. It's to prove competence within wh- whatever the reason they followed you uh, for. And to to Nick's point, yeah, he has established himself as the thought leader in the self storage space, and he's very smart. I just saw a post of his the other day where he's got like he charges twenty five hundred dollars an hour for. Uh, consulting calls and he has like a hundred of them uh, a year or something like that. So obviously his strategy is working very well. He sold 250 grand of consulting calls in in the last year. So yeah. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> not a you little bit, not bad accidental business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's so impressive. Yeah. Um, so on that side, like if you're talking to someone who's got maybe 10,000 followers on Twitter and it's saying, Hey, I've seen a bunch of people blow up. I've watched this happen. I've, I've dipped my toes in it. Like I've tried a few things, maybe some spread, maybe some different and some didn't. What would you say to them of like putting together a strategy to go from, uh, you know, 10,000 to whatever you think is the next threshold? 
Uh, the number one thing that I would have if I was consulting with somebody to do on Twitter is to evaluate their profile top to bottom. I think that a lot of people don't put any thought into their, their, their profile. And I think of your, your, your profile as essentially the sales page for you, right? Think how important is a sales page when you're trying to get somebody to take action? Uh, very. <laughs> Right. And, and the difference between a 1% conversion rate and a 2% conversion rate is, is massive. Right. Right. And I view your profile page as the sales page for somebody going to, to follow you. Uh, let, let's, let's think for a second about the process that somebody goes through to go from a random tweet that is on their timeline to, to following that, that person. I think it generally goes something that, that like this. First, they, they see your tweet. Your tweet appears on their timeline. They have no idea who you are. They, you're just a complete stranger who said something that is going viral or resonates with that person for, for some reason, right? The first thing they do, or the first thing I do, is I click that person's profile. And I look, at the, I look at their profile page. And within a couple of seconds, I scan their profile from top to bottom. Uh, I look at their, their, their banner. Uh, I look at their their profile the profile that they describe themselves. I look at the um, the link that they have. I look at their pinned tweet, and all along that, I'm taking just in a few seconds. I'm deciding to myself, is this stranger I don't know anything about that create one tweet that resonated with me? Is this stranger worth following? If they are, if their if their profile page is filled out properly, and I could tell that this stranger could be helpful to me, I'll click follow. But if their profile is a random assortment of things that they like or a legal disclaimer or a picture of like their dog or them on vacation, I'm like, I, I don't understand what's in it for me if I follow uh, this person. So the number one thing that I would suggest everybody do if you're interested in growing on Twitter is really put a ton of time into every pixel on your, on your profile page and maximize for um, getting people to uh, understand what you do and why they should follow you. Okay, I like that. Uh, can we make this interactive and uh, just pull sure. up, you know, a Twitter profile of a random user, maybe hypothetically named Nathan Berry? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think, do you have uh, do you have screen share options in Riverside? I, uh, this is yours, but yeah. Yeah, if, if it lets you screen share, I think that'd be perfect. Uh, all right, we've got it here. Uh, so if anyone's watching on YouTube or just listening on audio, uh, it's a good good time to jump in and watch on YouTube um, and see this. But uh, I'm just like, as you were talking, I was like, sweet, let's make this actionable with yes. a specific Twitter profile. A couple of things I'm looking at. I've got my banner photo, maybe from 2012. It was yeah. pre-beard and I look 12 years old. So that sounds about right. Um, but I'd be curious, what can be your reactions? So this to me is a good header. Okay. Uh, this shows you up on stage obviously giving a talk yep. and for some strange reason uh i'm assuming there's people in the audience but you you're, you're obviously a speaker yep right so you you've done something in your life that tells me somebody somewhere said this person is worth putting on stage now it would be better if you were on stage and there was a recognizable logo behind you like right. you speaking at some we conference that i heard of got you know, like Ted would be great, right? Or, well, or the audience. Or TEDx. That's that's more in my ability to achieve. Sure. But yeah. <laughs> or an audience on there yep. in some way, just for me to see that, yeah, that's a real uh, photo of you. Or, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. Do you have any pictures of you sitting down with a thought leader or being interviewed mm. on TV or something like that? But I would put this in the 95th percentile for headers. Oh man. Okay. I thought this was not going to be because good. instantaneously in one photo, I, I see, okay. I don't know who this Nathan Barry guy is, but he's a speaker. Right. Like, he has a microphone. It's wireless. Somebody thought this guy was worth listening to, right? <laughs> yeah. There could be two people in the audience, but right. They're at least <laughs> yeah, <there>. right. <laughs> this is better than 95% of, of, of headers that I see. Yep. Uh, so already that, that, that's good. I think it could be improved if you, if you made a couple of tweaks or look through your, your photo archive. I look at your profile picture. It's a picture of you. Great. Right. I instantly know a uh, real person. And you also grabbed the profile, Nathan Barry. Awesome. Right. It's, there's no underscores. There's no dashes. No numbers. That, that, <laughs> right. That's, that's really good. And then let's look at your profile. Founder and CEO at ConvertKit. Awesome. 
instant, instant credibility, right? Even if you don't know what ConvertKit is, you, you hover the mouse over it and you see it has 23,000 followers, right? So you're the founder and CEO. I know that within a few seconds of this thing that has 23,000 followers. If I didn't know what you were or ConvertKit was, that would be impressive enough to be like, okay, you have my attention. And then you have a uh, grow your audience and earn a living with ConvertKit. I see that you're, you call yourself an entrepreneur. Your birthday is June 29th. You joined in 2008. You're from Boise. You have a website called NathanBerry.com and you have 86,000 followers, including Alex Harmozy, Brad Barrett, and 70 other, 74 other people that I follow. So 74 people that I follow think that you're worth following. That is a lot of social proof. Right. That is a lot of social proof. Moreover, you're following 1,500 people and 86,000 are following you. So I know that you're not spamming the system, right? right. Some people follow 50,000 people and they have 50,000 followers. If that's you, you don't have 50,000 followers, right? You have 50,000 yeah. 50, people that followed you back for following them. Uh, so that's an account that I just would not respect. If I could suggest a couple of changes, people like putting their address uh, on there. That, that, that's, I guess that's a personal uh, choice. Um, the birth date doesn't really do much uh, for me, but call yep. yourself an entrepreneur does. So you, would you remove location? Yeah, so my location, if you look at mine, it's, it's, it's a thing that says, it's, it's an arrow that's pointing to my book, to buy my book, right? And so the funny thing about location is people don't care where you live. Right. They care what your, what your thoughts are. And the people that care where you live, you probably don't want them to know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Iowa in case anyone's wondering. If you yeah, know. yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is all, this is all uh, uh, fake. Um, but I think that you, you've clearly done a good job with um with your profile and then i would look down at your your um your your pinned tweet is um something that you're you're proud of like it's got your your profile uh yeah, it's called action the newsletter one thing i was thinking about as you were talking is like is it better to pin you know one of the most viral threads that i've done or something like that the shows like hey three thousand retweets or yeah i think your pinned tweet the best pinned tweet possible is the content that most represents what people should expect if they follow mm. you Right. Yep. So, so again, if I click over, I've only, if I've seen one tweet of yours and I'm, I, I join your profile page and I want to get a sense for what you're like, I'm going to click through your, your pin tweet. So your pin tweet should be, have a ton of social proof on there. Right. So one of your viral content, um, my pin tweet is like a whole bunch of images that I did that, that caught fire had like 22,000 oh, wow. likes or something. And then at the bottom of that, there's a link to subscribe to my newsletter, which is a big thing that I want people to do that, um, that, that follow me. But I think that, that that tweet storm really embodies what you can expect if you follow my, my account. So it's like a sample of, of what to, to see. So yeah, I would think maybe, maybe go through one of your, your threads that really, really um, is a real good sample of what people should expect if they, if they follow you. Yeah. I like it. That's good. Thanks for diving in. Any any other uh, thoughts or feedback on it? No, I think I, again. I think that yours is yours is clearly well thought out. You've clearly put some time and effort uh, into this. You've done more work than ninety nine percent of people on right. Twitter with with this. And I think that it, it's just amazing about thinking through every detail about your your profile can take your following rate, like the number of people that click your profile and follow you, from half a percent to two percent right, right? That, if you can do that you quadruple the, your, your growth rate yeah right that, 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 that small change there uh, moreover if you have a terrible profile page and you create viral content um it's not going to lead to followers if you have a bad profile page but if you have a good profile page and then you get viral content, it will lead to a lot of followers. So it's like taking time to make sure the bucket uh, that you're doing to scoop up new followers doesn't have tons of holes in it, I think is step one. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, so when you're thinking about the types of content that you create, you were talking about you know, Twitter as a, as a blogging platform rather than you know, a social media platform. How do you think about you know writing individual tweets that are going to spread really well versus writing threads? You know, and and I find it much easier to write a thread that spreads than an individual tweet. Curious for you. Yeah, uh, to to grow on Twitter, it's very clear that the answer is threads. Period. Right. If you want to, if you if top when I think of 
top of funnel, it's 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 threads. I personally do uh, one thread per week on Sunday mornings. Um, I think they have a pretty good chance of going viral if I tweet them out on on uh, Sunday mornings. And that's just the time schedule that works for me. Um, I think you can do more than that if you have the the energy to to do so. Um, but I, I I would worry about going more than two a week because I think that gets into like the spamming your followers right. um, c- category. So I think one to two threads per week is an acceptable amount from what from what um, I've seen. Plus, it's just hard to come up with threads, yeah. right? And they take a long time to write and do do the right uh, right way. But I also tweet. Um, two or three times per day. I view those not as gaining followers, although you know I gain 100, 200 followers a day, uh, something, something like that. But I view that more to just remind people that my account exists and what uh, what kind of content you can um, you can expect from me. Although I do know some some people that um, tweet much less frequently than that. And they they still grow at a pretty good clip. I think the old advice was treat you know, tweet five or six times a day. That works in the beginning when you're just getting started and you have no idea what you're doing. I think as you grow, it's more important that what you tweet is super high quality than necessarily the frequency of it. Right. Yeah, I think that's good. I found for a while I was like, okay, one thread a week, and then I found like just running a company, I couldn't even keep up with that <laughs> schedule. It, yeah, it's a lot of work. And so now I'm like. One thread a week, but two of them, or like every every other week might be a repost from a thread from six months ago or nine months ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that does quite well. Like usually the thread will do whatever it did the first time. It'll do probably 80% of that in like favorites or retweets uh, the second time, which is kind of wild to me. I would not have expected that until actually Nick Huber was like, hey, here's the secret. Yes. <laughs> you know, repost the I, same I also content. learned that from Nick. Yeah, I, I would have thought that you just have to constantly come up with new ideas. But if you have a thread that works, it is perfectly okay to repurpose that thread after a certain period of time. You've said four months. I think that that's perfectly, perfectly fine, right? Um, and I, I came across a great quote recently. I think it was by Alex Harmo- Harmozy. It's like it was something like people need reminders more than they need new information. Mm. Or it's something like yeah. that, right? And the the idea is reminding people of of important ideas that they already know is just as powerful as coming up with new ideas. Right. Yeah, that's good. One of my rules for creating creating content or threads is that it has to be something that's like relatively unique to me. Um, like you couldn't just copy and paste it from Wikipedia. Um, mm-hmm. So either like I find this truly fascinating, and so I'm telling you the story about. Um, you know, something that I find really fascinating, or it's like from my life experience, my company building experience or something else, so like insights uh, from that, that experience. And I think that's worked well. You know, I put out a lot less content that way, but I don't fall into the bucket of like, oh, here's another story that like I could have picked up about whatever billionaire who, you know, right. like I can read Wikipedia as well. Um, and it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious about your approach of like how you've, think about what's worthy of sharing on on Twitter and what's not. Well, I also think that what you just said, the stories that you share doubles as not only here's information that is very valuable, but it also doubles as here's getting to know me as a person. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it's you sharing your unique view with that information, as opposed to just, like you said, copying and pasting a Wikipedia entry into a thread. When I think about um, the threads that I've created, I also try and have some unique angle. So it's not just sharing a quote, it's like formatting the quote with a picture uh, of the person or when I'm doing, um, right. uh, I, I now have created like hundreds of graphics, like these very simple images related to money and finance. And those were all ones that I made myself. Um, and the, one of the biggest tweet storms I ever had is like, you know, 15 of those images, like tweet storm together, all with like the key principles of uh, investing in, in wealth building that I learned the hard way with a little simple graphic uh, on those. So I think that people understand that those were created by me painstakingly. Um, another thing that I learned from, it might've been from this podcast. Your podcast is a hidden gem, uh, Nathan, was the the idea that um, James Clear and um, what's the guy from Wait But Why? I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Tim Urban. Tim Urban, yes. They said, this, this thing so resonated with me as soon as they said it and it made so much sense. They said, A plus content gets gets reshared. Uh, a minus content does not. Therefore, create nothing but A plus content. Not A minus, not A, A plus. Wow, is that hard to do? 
Because when you are like a couple hours into creating content and you're like, it's an A, I had this tweak that could make it an A plus, going that extra distance is very mentally painful to make something an A plus. But if you do so, if you can do so consistently, that extra effort is so worth it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like it. So what's the what's the rest of your creator stack look like? You know, you've got Twitter, we focus on that very heavily. I'm assuming that you're making a full-time living as a creator uh, at mm-hmm. this point. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So what what's the rest of the the business and the operation look like? What other platforms are you on? And how do you think about once you grow this audience on Twitter, you know, where are you going with it? Twitter is, our, is my number one platform. I now have two business partners who are both named Brian, funny enough. Yep. It's very convenient. All the Brian's. I think you had a photo at FinCon of all three all three Brian's together. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, so now you know our hiring criteria. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so we are uh, essentially working together to grow our our email list. Uh, we just switched over to ConvertKit about three months ago, uh, in, in part because of the sponsorship network, which has just been awesome. Uh, working with your team has been absolutely fantastic and was the number one reason that we switched uh, to yeah. uh, ConvertKit. Shout out to Armando. He's doing a great job. He's good. Let's talk about that for a second. Actually, I've not talked about the sponsor network on this podcast. So, uh, it's, it's fun to, to dive in on the, on the specifics for a minute. What's, what's the experience been like for, for you as a career? I know the experience on our side is like, mm-hmm. you know, launching effectively a new business and like hiring yeah. as fast as we can at scale. It's chaos on our side. Like <laughs> <laughs> what is it on your side? Yeah. So for those that don't know, uh, with convert convert kit, they just launched this thing called the sponsorship network, which essentially they will, mo- they will help you to monetize your newsletter, uh, for you. So they go out, they, they, they get the relationships with the, with the sponsors, they negotiate all the, the funding, uh, they, they do everything you get to approve or the ads that's that you would appear in your newsletter. And then you just click a little button after you approve the ad, the ad goes in there and then convert kit pays you the fee, uh, for doing so. And anybody that has dealt with sponsors behind the scenes know that contacting them, negotiating with them, invoicing them, collecting payment with them, uh, and and then following up with them, it's a huge hassle. So the fact that ConvertKit does that kind of for you, um, and then just takes a cut on on that is is a is a mass was a massive selling point for us. Uh, So that's a big reason why we switched over uh, to to ConvertKit. And we're still early days in it. We just started monetizing the newsletter like a month uh, ago, but the the early experience so far has been pretty pretty seamless. You know, switching switching to a newsletter provider is like switching yep. to any software. It's like changing banks. It's it's a pain. It is it is a hassle. Uh, but you guys had a team that helped us to to, to do that. Um, and you know, it was still it was still work, but it wasn't oh, yeah. a ton of work because a lot of that was offloaded. On uh, Becky did a whole bunch of that for us, and she was fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the the sponsor network. If people are looking for an update on our side, we're at the point where we're booking about a quarter million in sponsorships every month now. Uh, that's growing at like thirty uh, percent month over month. So it's that's crazy. It's 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 wild. Uh, and we're you know we have all these creators who are like, hey, how do I get in? It's like, look, as soon as we're booking more brands, we're bringing in more creators. You know, so it's like a it's I mean it's two sided marketplace effectively. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, we're just scaling up both sides as fast as we can. Uh, and it's fun. Like I have this little plaque. Where is it? It's off screen. Maybe you can't see it, but uh, it says we exist to help creators earn a living. And this is the most like just paying creators. I think I tweeted this or we hear something like my job is to get creators paid. (laughs) Like makes it very easy to like you, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and so, so it's fun. Uh, a lot of work to scale, but, uh, but that's good. So we were talking about, uh, the business from there, right? So you're going from Twitter and, and growing an email list. How many subscribers are on the list now? Uh, we, we, we have about 40,000. We okay, just so- actually went through a scrubbing process this week to kind of take out any, uh, people that hadn't interact with it, with our, um, emails in, in a bit. And we kind of deleted them. Uh, so we just, we just, you know, we just deleted about 10% of our list. We were cropping up on 45,000, but now we're back to about 40, but they're very highly engaged. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. I like a, a highly engaged list. It's best for deliverability. It's best for your fans. The only reason to have like a big list that's unengaged is like if you're trying to sell a book deal or something and you just want to yes. pay the metric. <laughs> you right. Know? But anyone these days everyone's sophisticated enough with email lists that they're like, cool, what's your open rate? Exactly. Yeah. They know the second question, which is yeah. what is your open rate? And <laughs> if you don't have a good number to back it up, it's it makes total sense, right? Okay, so what's working for driving, uh, you know, we're building this audience on Twitter. What's working for getting them to subscribe to the newsletter? 
Uh, so the strategy there is to use threads, right? So we have, um, I, I have threads that I do every Sunday. And the thing that I mostly plug in those is subscribe to the, to the email uh, list. We actually use review for that because review has the built-in integration with uh, Twitter. Because Twitter owns them. <laughs> Twitter owns review. Um, yeah. And then I just use Zapier to, to, to bring them over to ConvertKit um, instant, uh, instantaneously. I would love it if ConvertKit had that feature built right in. I think, we, I think the rule is you have to get bought by Twitter. Uh, yeah, okay, is that the rule? <laughs> uh, makes sense. But um, I, I think that that is so, the, the hassle of having two newsletters is so worth it because if you can do so, people can just click one button, not leave Twitter and give you their email address. And, yep. and that is very powerful, right? To just saying, yes, subscribe, done. You're still in the app. It doesn't take you anywhere uh, else. So that little, that, 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 that little time saving multiplied by you know, thousands of people is, is, is well worth it. Uh, but we're growing, we're growing the, um, the email list and now we're monetizing it thanks to uh, the ConvertKit sponsor uh, network. Um, and we have a, a course that we built that uh, came out last year that teaches people how to read financial statements. So we take we take complete beginners that know nothing or are complete novices to reading financial statements, and we have a, a three week course that takes them line by line through the uh, all the income statement, the balance sheet, and the and the um, the cash flow statement, and the statement of cash flows, and we show them how to read them with tons of uh, examples. What's cool about that is. We, we get a lot of investors, like uh, individual investors that sign up, but we have a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, aspiring executives that sign up too. Because I think learning to read financial statements is an incredible business skill, regardless right. of whether you invest or not. Yeah, I'm just thinking like, oh, that sounds like a course that I should take, right? I'm like, cool. there's all Join these us. things that, you know, you know from running a company over the years, but then it's like, I mean, the whole range of things, right? Of when either digging into someone else's business for an acquisition or, or, uh, looking, you know, at, at, uh, S one filings or whatever else you're like, what does half of this mean? I think I know what it is, but I'm Googling like every fourth right. word, you know? Yes. So, so we, we train people how to, how to find them using public companies because those are the easiest, in, um, uh, statements to find. I just think it's such a powerful skill in, in my experience uh, I was in the corporate world for about, uh, for about 10 years. And everybody knew that I was an investor. I used to, used to break down our company's filings. We were publicly traded. And I would send an email out to my friends that I worked with, breaking down their quarterly earnings reports. And it got forwarded throughout the entire company, all the way up to the CEO, like without my knowledge. Uh, uh -huh. So I was creating emails to my friends saying, here's our financial results for this quarter. And it just went through the entire organization. So everybody at the company knew that I was the guy that broke down our quarterly filings and explained things uh, very simply. And because of that, I talked to senior executives right. at the company that I worked for, people that were in the C-suite that clearly could not read financial statements. Like, they, they, you, know, you're, you know what I mean? People that had were experts at sales or marketing or engineering or some function. And they were clearly incredibly accomplished individuals, but they they didn't know how to read financial statements because they were never trained or they, don't, they didn't think like an, an investor. So uh, I, we're targeting those people. I think if you want to go up in your organization and you can prove that you can read financial statements, that sets you apart. So there's something interesting in that. Um, there's a way that creators stand out by just by making content, right? How many people were in the company that you worked for? How many employees? Um, at the time that I left? Yeah. 500? 500, right. So, so you're one of 500 people. There's lots of ways you could stand out at work. Some good, right. some bad. Um, <laughs> right. But it's such an interesting thing that being the person who can write something down and explain it, like gets you to stand out. And it's the same across the board, right? I can be sitting down to learn web design and I will do that and no one will ever know who I am and I'll do some work for clients and we'll move on, right? Or I can learn this new thing and then write a blog post about it. Here's what I learned and put that out there, share it a bit and go on from there and do that for a couple of years. And you know, I'll be seen as like one of uh, like a web design expert that tens of thousands of people are following. And the difference is like doing your job quietly and doing your job mm -hmm. and putting out content. And so it's just fascinating that like just the act, even though there's so much content out there in the world, just the act of writing things down, creating content and sharing it immediately distinguishes you from everybody else in pretty much every field. I totally agree. Do you, do you know who Blake Burge is? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Excel content. Exactly. 
Blake Burge took a concept. He became the Excel guy right. on, on Fintwit, essentially. He has these phenomenal uh, uh, threads that show you really simple things in Excel, Google Sheets, Microsoft Word. Like he breaks down these, these functions that will make you, you better, right? He has built up a massive following in the span of like 18 months by breaking down Excel. Excel is, is, is a skill that how many millions of people know right. how to use. And all he did was say, I learned these things. Here's how you can learn them and apply them to your life. And his popularity soared just because he simply shared his skill with people out there. And that proved to be, a, I'm sure that was a career changing move for him to do that very simple act. So yeah, documenting what you know, even if you think it's common knowledge and sharing it with the world, there are always people out there that if they find that will appreciate what you do. If you, if you turn it into A plus content. Right. Yep. And which he absolutely did. And you know, what's interesting with, with him, uh, cause I talked to him uh, a moderate amount and he, he did it all while he was an executive at a company. Um, yeah, cool. And so like he did it on the side in like just a, you know, like an hour a day, two hours a day kind of thing. You know, it was not like he's said out, I'm going to be a content creator. I'm going to quit my job. Right. Do this. You know, he like <laughs> did all that on the side. And then I think that he has since left that company, gotten to like a really good work-life balance. Cause he like, this wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm working a day job or whatever. I, I think from talking to him, it was like a, you know, 60 plus 70 hour a week, like, you know, <laughs> serious career. Yeah. yeah, yeah and sure. then now he's like, has full control of his time uh, and all of that because he spent a year and a half explaining a skill that he was, you know, that he was good at. And he explained it on Twitter for a year and a half straight. And now he's off to the races. Yeah, right. Incredible. But that just shows you if if you develop a skill and then can explain it succinctly uh, to people. The thing that I always like to think about is what now that I know this thing, right? Let's say something takes me like a year to, to learn. Right. What do I wish I could explain to myself a year ago? Like what are, what are the exact steps that I wish that I could explain to myself one year ago that I would have found incredibly, incredibly helpful. If you can do, if you can do that uh, really well, uh, people will find it and they will appreciate what you create. That's interesting. Of Like, if you, I feel like once you write your first five or eight threads on Twitter, you're like, and you start out like, I have so many ideas. And yeah. then after I write a bunch <laughs> of them, I'm like, Ooh, I kind of wrote my way through like the initial list. Uh, usually actually writing more helps spark more ideas, but it's interesting to think about what are the things in my career that I learned that like blew my mind, you know? Yes. Like having an audience would be one for me. Uh, travel hacking, like using mm -hmm. credit card point. You know, that was one where I was like, wait, hold on. Y'all don't pay for these flights that you take? Right. Like, what? Yep. You know, so you I could probably list out like five or 10 of those that you could separate, you know, before my life, before I knew this thing and my life after I knew this thing. And and that's just great content, especially if it falls within the niche that you want to write about. Or or the big one for me was, um, I wish I knew about how to actually network. Oh, yeah. When I left college, you know what I mean? Like you think that the, the standard thing that you're taught is apply to a business online, like wait for them to contact you, be like, you know what I mean? And it's like, if I was applying for a job now, I wouldn't do any of that. Right. Right. I would go immediately online. I would go to LinkedIn. I would go to Twitter. I would find people that work at the company. I would engage with them. Right. I would show extreme enthusiasm. I would check out their website. I would reach out to the CEO or somebody important. And I would be like, if I was applying for a job, I would connect with them. I'd create a PowerPoint presentation. Here are five things that I think this company could do immediately to improve A, B, C, D, E. You will make a video of yourself do doing it, you will stand out. Like right. if you do those simple things, um, like incredibly well versus just seeing somebody's resume, right? I wish I knew that life hack uh, like years ago, right? It would have made getting other jobs uh, easier, but that's something that um, I learned online, right? On Twitter and LinkedIn by following the right people. Well, like a good example of that is uh, working on the ConvertKit Sponsor Network uh, is someone who I think is a friend of yours, uh, Austin Lieberman, who, mm -hmm. you know, well-known in the uh, investing space, all of that, building an audience. He and I have connected plenty on Twitter because we talked about Twitter a lot as, you know, here's how to get 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 or more followers. But like, it is a fantastic place to meet like great people one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So he and I have exchanged a lot of DMs back and forth, talked about different ideas and all of that. And so when I post this this role to like help us scale the the sponsor network and, and find brands, particularly in the investing space, he's like, hey man, 
this is actually kind of interesting, you know, and he is immediately at the top of the list because right. I know that he knows everybody in the investing space. I know, you know, like I, I'm not going to find anyone better than him to talk to brands about sponsoring investing in business related newsletters. And it's all because of this public profile that he's created. And, you know, and then he fires on, he's like, Hey, I was thinking about this more. He fires off a loom uh, video to Armando and I, you know, who are, are running it. And he's like, here's what I'm thinking about. You're gonna need people who get it on the ground floor and like really scale this up. You know, like the processes are going to change nonstop. And so here's how I kind of handle that. And he's like, dude, you're in, <laughs> you know, exactly because of that reputation. And it's totally different than how you'd think about networking normally. That's how I, uh, the way I got to a job at The Motley Fool, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been a contract writer for The Motley Fool for the last seven years. I didn't apply online. Yeah. Uh, I, I had been physically going to their, their, I was a member first and I was physically attending as many of their in-person events as I could. Right. And you got to meet people. Uh, I was posting to their discussion boards constantly. So, but before I even raised my hand and said, I'm interested in this, like 75% of the people at the company already knew me and knew that I was like interested in the company, interested in the content and had been creating content for a long time on that. So when I raised my hand and said, I'm really interested in, in working for you, it was just like, cool, we'll give you a shot. Like I didn't have to like apply. I didn't have to go through like a big like a uh, process. They already knew who I. They already knew who I was, right? And that I think is the way to network your way into organizations you want you want to work for. Well, I think what's great about that is it's not based on like oh what school you went to or mm -hmm. who was in your sorority or fraternity, right? Or like any of any of those things. Um, it's it's like based on this is the public resume and the enthusiasm and the knowledge that I'm putting out there. Uh, you know, and we talk a lot about being a creator from the perspective of like as an independent creator, but it's amazing if we're finding a job like Charlie Prangley, who is our creative director at ConvertKit. I sat in the audience and watched her give a talk at a conference and I was like, dang, she's good. I wish I could get someone like that to work for us. And then later <laughs> I find out like, because I assumed she was doing her own thing, but then I find out that she's a designer at like a startup in London. And I was like, Oh, you know, would you like to work for a remote company? You know, like all this. Right. And it turned right. into this thing. But because she's like on stage, has a YouTube channel with 100,000 followers, you know, and she wants to work in a company, she's just like instant hire because you know everything about her. You know that she's like, if someone has the the discipline to create on YouTube or Twitter uh, and do that consistently for multiple years, like they've already proven most of what you need to know about their ability to show up and do a job because that's really right. hard to do. Like we talk about, you know, like, oh, just write a thread a week. Still very difficult. And so it's like, look, that's all I need to know. I think it, it was Naval or, or um, uh, Balaji's recently said something like, if you're a marketer and you don't have a big following, are you a marketer or something like that? Like, <laughs> no. should, should you trust a marketer who doesn't have a big social media following? That's a fair point, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's good. There's some of those things that like people think but don't say. And right. I love it when someone... Right. It's like, it's like, would you, if somebody was telling you, uh, selling a Twitter course, right. And they had 300 followers, would you buy that Twitter course? Like, right. it's like no, right. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Well, we should probably, uh, probably wrap it up and leave it there. What, um, where should people go to follow you, you know, on, on Twitter, you got a great YouTube channel that you're building, uh, and then the newsletter. Yep. Uh, I'm most active on, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter every day. So that's just at Brian Feraldi. If, if breaking down individual uh, companies and investing uh, interests you, my YouTube channel, we create, we create lots of content related to that. A lot of like um, a company earnings reports, uh, things like that. That's also my name, Brian Feraldi. I love it. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Nathan. This uh, podcast I consider to be a hidden gem. So I'm uh, honored <laughs> to be a part of it. I love it. Perfect. I'll catch you later.